right now on Matter of Fact. Los Angeles is producing some of the next big ideas, this time in tech. I push these entrepreneurs to, to learn and grow very, very quickly. Soledad explores the inner workings of a tech hardware accelerator. We're not looking for a replica of today's great successes. We're looking for tomorrow's great successes. Plus, he's a historian who put more than 3,000 textbooks to the test. I was stunned because of this emphasis on whiteness to the exclusion of everything else. It's not what I expected. Meet the Harvard researcher who says it's time to admit that history has been whitewashed. But first, an Afghan family with four daughters is adjusting to a new way of life in Wisconsin. It is not easy to leave your life, your home, your pupil, your country. What it's like to start over and find new dreams for the future. I'm Soledad O'Brien. Welcome to Matter of Fact. The midterms are in the rearview mirror, but the debate over the future of the nation continues. For refugees in the U.S., that debate involves the question of if they'll find a pathway to permanent residence here. A little over a year ago, 76,000 Afghan nationals fled their home country and came to the U.S. Granted humanitarian parole, which means temporary entry without a visa, refugee families are living in a kind of legal limbo. Now, putting down roots in communities across the country, they still live with fear. They see retribution by the Taliban against those left behind, the crackdown on freedoms for women and girls. Our correspondent, Jessica Gomez, caught up with an Afghan family with four daughters who found their way to a new home and a new life in Wisconsin. I work three days a week and I also have classes. So it's busy. It's just busy. 19-year-old Asma Iqbalzada at the start of another long day. She and her older sister on their way to college prep classes. Her younger sisters off to middle and high school on Milwaukee's south side. It is not easy to leave your life, your home, your pupil, your country. Asma's family is Hazara, a minority ethnic group often persecuted by ISIS and the Taliban. They were among the thousands of Afghans who rushed to the airport in Kabul in August of 2021 as the U.S. was leaving and the Taliban taking over. Like many others, they had no official paperwork and little hope. It's like impossible. It's like, like our chance, like it's like 0. 0.000. It is just, it is just impossible. But it was when Asma's youngest sister, Marwa, got separated from the family that a U.S. soldier and his translator took notice. And then he grabbed Marwa and he just put Marwa to his shoulder. He said, you safe, you safe, your family's coming. The next thing they knew, they were all on a plane like this one, leaving behind the only life they'd ever known. When you got on that plane and you knew you were taking off and you knew that you were leaving Afghanistan, probably for a long time. What was going through your mind? Actually, my mind was just frozen. And I just could, couldn't think anything. Researchers. <laughs> Today, the strongest English speaker, Asma, is often the family translator. 
Turn right, then turn right. She had to learn how to drive. I'm like the Uber driver. Like most of the time, I'm, I'm in the road. Okay, this is your order. And to help pay the bills, got her first job in a cafeteria at a Milwaukee manufacturing company. When I came back from um, work the first day, I was like, Mom, just for a salad, it was like seven or eight dressing. <laughs> How can I memorize all of that? With her infectious laugh <laughs> and work ethic, her bosses say she's a welcome addition during a time when good employees are hard to find. Sky is the limit. She's gonna, she's gonna go places. She's got the, she's got the personality. She has the, the brain power and she has such an attitude, such a great attitude. But for Ozma and her family, transitioning to their new life in the United States is bittersweet. Her father, once a business owner, now an auto mechanic. And her mother tearing up when reminiscing about her work as a seamstress back home. But grateful, she says, for her job now at a national bridal store, stitching together a new story for her four girls. Did the characters embrace their differences? A story that is starting with an education. Asma wants to study business and her sister, psychology, an opportunity stolen from their friends back home. What are some of your friends doing that are still in Afghanistan? Before the Taliban took control, my all friends went to a school, went to um, uh, university, and now they are just to stay at home. I think about they think about them like every single day. It is just anxiety because no school, no hope for future, just staying at home and waiting for nothing. What do the girls in Afghanistan need from the rest of the world? They need to start paying attention. One with three, three, yes. And to the soldier and translator who did pay attention to these four Afghan girls. If I can find the soldier, also the translator, you know, just saying a huge thank you and they can understand that how they change a life. All of my family, uh, we are just grateful. In Milwaukee, Wisconsin, for Matter of Fact, I'm Jessica Gomez. Matter of Fact has been able to confirm that the soldier who helped Asma and her family leave Afghanistan was assigned to the Army's 82nd Airborne Division. When and if we can find out exactly who he is, we'll be sure to follow up. Next on Matter of Fact, meet the Los Angeles-based investor behind some of the next big ideas for tech devices. What is success for you? A candid conversation about creating opportunity for inventors who others often overlook. And later, crash test dummies get a makeover. For the first time ever, there's a female crash test dummy to represent the average size woman. How this surprising first could save lives. You're watching Matter of Fact, America's number one nationally syndicated public affairs news magazine. Welcome back to Matter of Fact. We're based in LA this week, home to Make in LA, a tech accelerator that helps tech hardware creators get their ideas into production. When we visited five years ago, Make in LA was investing in 15 companies. That number now has gone up to 23. 
reflecting the significant role that Los Angeles is playing in tech manufacturing. Here's a look back at one of those startups, Rufus, that's making wearable warehouse technology. The purpose of this is for workers in construction or third-party logistics warehousing to wear this device. And in the background, what we're doing is understanding the behavior of the worker. Why did you go to Make in LA? How did that happen? You know, we're based out of Los Angeles, and it was really, one, nice to find an accelerator that's focused on hardware, because that's pretty rare. They have the mentors, the resources, and all these things that can kind of help us get there. It was really important as a hardware company to get that stuff right. Rufus currently has 50 enterprise customers in their pipeline with 2,000 units pre-ordered. But for that to happen, he and his team had to get past Sean Aurora and the extremely intense training at Make in LA. I am making them question everything that they thought they knew about the product. When I look at entrepreneurs, I overlook the stuff that generally buys investors. Are they a minority? Are they a woman? Do they have a stutter? Whatever it is that causes an investor to pass, we are able to look beyond that. We're not looking for a replica of today's great successes. We're looking for tomorrow's great successes. Carmen Palafox is a partner with Make in LA Capital. She's also the founding partner of the venture capital firm, 2045 Ventures. Carmen, it's so nice to see you. It's been a really long time. How are you? I'm doing great. Good. And it's great to see you too. So in the five years since we did that interview, give us an update. What's been happening with Rufus? Considering the fact that we've gone through a pandemic, supply chain issues, our companies have survived and done well. Rufus in particular creates wearable technology for the warehouse worker and they're in three different countries, US, Canada, and Europe. Wow, fantastic. How about other success stories? What is success for you? Success is seeing these companies, you know, grow and scale. And many of them are scaling rapidly now and solving critical issues in mental health, in climate, and across all different sectors. Connect the investment in this, you know, the hardware tech startups to actual employment. VC-backed companies create eight times more jobs than non-VC-backed companies. So this is a critical stat because when you are employed in a tech startup that's VC-backed, you have skills that you can then transfer on to other positions or start your own your own venture. You have started your own venture firm and we know how few venture dollars go to people of color across the board and specifically women of color. You know, that's where I see the biggest opportunity. Our country is changing. And so the name of the firm is 2045 Ventures because 2045 is the year there won't be a racial majority in the United States. That's already true in five states. In Los Angeles, 50% of the population are people of color. 30% are foreign born. Yet there is very little capital that is going to founders that are, are female that are underrepresented. And what the simple solution is, is more capital to investors of color like myself uh, that can then go out into the community and green light these opportunities. Carmen Palafax, nice to see you. Coming up on Matter of Fact, this historian's book is called Teaching White Supremacy. The title is pretty provocative. 
It is, but descriptive and accurate. 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 A look at the research he calls undeniable. And still ahead, a special message for our veterans. Our thanks to all of you. Politics of education are playing out in classrooms all over the country. At least 17 states have introduced bills that would restrict how educators teach American history and current events. During this past election cycle, a number of Republican candidates pushed false claims that critical race theory and anti-whiteness are being taught in public schools. Harvard University's Hutchins Center for African and African American Research found evidence of the exact opposite that American public education has a long history of teaching white supremacy. Our special correspondent, Joey Chen, brings us a story of textbook racism. Ralph Waldo Emerson, Walt Whitman, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Noah Webster, that's the dictionary Webster, all great writers we think of as progressive. But a closer look at their writings, and those of many others, finds shocking ties to the ideals of white supremacy? They're all using the same kind of language in describing and dismissing people of African descent. All of them. But wait, I mean, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Walt Whitman? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's stunning. That's Donald Yakovon, historian and author of a new book, Teaching White Supremacy, who recognizes that what he's got to say sounds like heresy. It wasn't intended that way. I didn't, didn't know I was doing that uh, until it happened, uh, but it is an assault on the way we understand our culture and ourselves. To understand how this mild-mannered scholar became something of an academic flamethrower, it helps to have a little of the backstory. Yakovon was deep into research on another book when, just for fun, he went to the library to check out some old textbooks. This is an academic's idea of taking a break. But then you went down a rabbit hole. It, it was like Alice in Wonderland. I fell in, and it was in a completely different world. I saw this collection of 3,000 textbooks, and I was stunned. I just wasn't expecting that. Yes, he said 3,000 textbooks, dating back to the early 1800s, all the way up to current texts. This is just a fraction of the books you looked at. Oh, <laughs> an infinitesimal uh, fraction of all the ones that I looked at. And the recurring themes, he says, were taught to generations of American school kids? The achievements of black Americans and other non-whites were consistently ignored. African Americans were portrayed as incapable of learning or achieving even well after the Civil War, and it got worse. Here's how a textbook used in the late 20th century described enslaved people. They loved to sing and dance. They were generally blessed with a keen sense of humor, and this is the tough part. And a certain amount of promiscuity was taken for granted. Slave women rarely resisted the advances of white men, as their numerous mulatto progeny abundantly attested. That's a high school textbook from the 1940s, which Yakovon says was still in use decades later in classrooms across the country. Textbooks contained old tropes because a handful of publishers have traditionally dominated the industry. 
And two states, California and Texas, because they buy so many, have outsized influence on what goes into books. So if the Texas education doesn't approve of a textbook or, or a certain section of the textbook, it gets rewritten. Still, he says the blame for racist textbooks doesn't lie solely in conservative southern states. Remember those early thought leaders from the progressive Northeast? Yakovone argues their writing shapes what we have all learned. The textbooks are the embodiment of what we value in our culture. This is what we're teaching kids. Yeah, what we value. And if what we value is white supremacy, then <laughs> the damage is considerable. And that's a tough lesson to unlearn. For Matter of Fact, I'm Joey Chen in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Ahead on Matter of Fact. Crash test dummies are funny looking, but their usefulness is serious business. Why making these test dummies more realistic really matters. To stay up to date with Matter of Fact, sign up for our newsletter at matteroffact.tv. Crash test dummies are funny looking, but their usefulness is serious business. Since the 1970s, they've been modeled after the average male body. That is, until now. For the first time ever, there's a female crash test dummy to represent the average size woman. This seems like a strange first, but the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration only offers one female crash dummy. It's essentially a smaller version of the male dummy. The female model is four foot eight and weighs 108 pounds, which is roughly the size of a 12-year-old girl. Only an estimated 5% of adult females are that size. So, Swedish engineer Astrid Lunder and her team created the new female dummy, which is five foot three, weighs about 136 pounds, and it represents the 50th percentile of women. A University of Virginia study found that women were 73% more likely to suffer serious injuries in a frontal car crash and 17% more likely to die. That's according to NHTSA. There's still more work to be done. Children and infant versions are still just little scaled down versions of male dummies. Next on Matter of Fact, a moment of gratitude for our military men and women. Today, we offer a salute to our veterans. Friday, November 11th was our national holiday honoring those who've served in the country's armed forces. Throughout the course of the weekend, at parades and special events, Americans will reflect on the sacrifice of our military men and women. There are many monuments dedicated to those who've served, all a symbol of gratitude. And they mark the nation's remembrance of the service and the sacrifice of the men and women of the armed forces. Our thanks to all of you. That's it for this edition of Matter of Fact. I'm Soledad O'Brien. I'll see you back here next week. Listen to Matter of Fact with Soledad O'Brien on your favorite podcast provider. Watch us during the week on FYI and YouTube.